It was the middle of the night two weeks ago. Wake up, there's some man trying to hit us with a hammer. Brutally attacked with a blunt instrument and a knife. Been beaten on the head with a hammer. That very moment, I just about stopped breathing. Bennett family was brutally attacked. I was in a coma. A very brutal, horrific scene. I knew she was dead. I, I just knew. You know, they were good people. Why did, you know, what did they do wrong? We have no hard suspects at this time. But it's, it's always there. That the guy is probably deceased. It was comforting to think this person was dead. The hammer man, whatever you want to call it. It's always there in the back of my mind. Every day in all these years. It haunted the families and the victims to the core. I had a lot of nightmares. You know, the fear that we lived with all these years, we always wondered if he was still out there because he would know who we were, but we wouldn't know who he was. It's been over 34 years. He's known, but he, we just don't have his name. The other employees of Backstrom Sales are trying to carry on. This furniture wholesale company is not just a place where a worker's a number. These people not only work together, but socialize together. In those confusing days following the murders of Bruce Deborah and Melissa Bennett, the people who knew them and worked with them experienced a stunned kind of reality. Dan Sheehan has known Bruce since eighth grade. Bruce opened his home to Dan recently when Dan moved back here from Massachusetts to look for work. You know, he was like my brother. and His brother loaned me money to get on my feet, and it was like, you know, it's just a, a closeness that I developed with them. And I've always felt like he was my brother. His mother was my mother. You know, they, they were really a big part of my life. They describe Bruce as the type of person who was quiet, but who would do anything for anybody who needed help. Deborah handled the inventory paperwork here. She loved to entertain people in their home. They say she was outgoing and friendly to everyone. For these friends, it's not like losing a couple of employees, but members of their own families. We'd get along real good. We'd joke around constantly here. I'd see them eight hours a day. No regretted it. You know, never any misunderstandings or just... It's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of changes. Outside that small circle, there were more primal emotions, suspicion, confusion, fear. Some crews, like these cable TV installers, do their job in people's alleys and backyards. Though they notify customers in advance, some have felt a greater sense of awareness of their presence since the Bennett family murders. People come out and ask what you're doing, who you are. But uh, you just tell them what you're doing out there and they don't bother you too much. It has been a little bit of a difference you've seen. Oh, yeah, I think so. The Bennett Family Murders, an attack that jolted a community. I'm Kevin Vaughn, an investigative reporter at KUSA-TV 9 News in Denver. This is Blame, the fear all these years. We wanted to understand how this tragedy played out in real time, so we headed to the basement, digging through old three-quarter-inch videotapes. And along the way realizing just how big the story had been back in 1984. Telephone repairmen don't have as many inside calls as they did before the AT&T breakup. More of their work is now outside in alleys and backyards. Installer Bob Hanna realizes some people may have a tendency to be more wary of anyone around their house. In, uh, in certain areas, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's awful difficult, uh, you know, roaming around in the backyards when people don't know, uh, you know, what's going on, you know, when nobody's home. But Hannah says employees carry company IDs and park their cars visibly near the job site. He says if you have any reason to wonder, ask for the ID or call the central office. With a killer on the loose, everyday scenes that had been innocuous, like utility workers tromping through yards, 
were suddenly cause for concern. It's much the same with meter readers from public service who often have to go in between houses and brave obstacles in backyards. They also carry company ID and meter reading books and maintain a regular schedule. Our meter readers come once a month to read a customer's meter. If they look at their bill, the read date, they can get an idea of when that meter reader will be there every month. Things that might have gone unnoticed a few weeks earlier we're now viewed with suspicion. If you've tried all that and you're still not sure who's in your yard or why, police suggest you call them and let them check it out. It was January 1984. The murders of three members of the Bennett family and the effort to save the life of three-year-old Vanessa dominated the headlines and newscasts. So did the anxiety that washed over the Denver area in an ever-tightening grip each day that passed with no suspects, no arrests, no answers. Last week's scenes of police swarming all over the Bennett home, the blood-stained knife, the bodies being loaded into the coroner's van, the girl next door watching us from her window, are pictures engraved in the minds of many people as they think about their own home security. The fear seeped into schools affecting children. Aurora educators are answering questions from young children about their own safety. Several children last week talked with me about they'd had bad dreams since they'd been hearing the news. And when they found out that someone else had also had a bad dream, it was very comforting. I said, you know, I've had a bad dream too, sort of to repeat what Karen said, it's okay. And then it's okay to talk about it. Because a guidance counselor at the school in the Bennett's neighborhood says educators in Aurora have almost always talked about personal safety and the recent discussions have been welcomed. I think it's relief because it gives them a lot of concrete um, solutions and ways to handle things and they feel more prepared. Um, we even do some role playing so that it's not real strange and unusual for them. In the meantime, an Aurora police officer says many adults are still panicking and buying guns when some of them shouldn't. I don't advocate it, nor does the police department. I would suggest to them that they keep their doors and their windows locked when they're home or when they're not home. Be very carefully of who they're opening their front door to. Um, look out for each other and their neighbors and report suspicious activity. Officer Capron tells us there will always be apathy in Aurora and everywhere else. She says she knows of two people who don't lock their homes when they leave simply because they've never locked their doors in the past. And she says there's a lot of new interest in the Neighborhood Crime Watch program, but it will be interesting to see just how long that interest lasts and how long those new residents will stick with it. One of those neighborhood watch meetings occurred eight days after the attack on the Bennetts. Normally, these meetings draw around eight people. This one was jammed as confused residents looked for answers to an unanswerable question. Are we safe? Tonight, it was standing room only. Not even the extra chairs could hold everyone. More than 200 people showed up. It's just a few blocks from here that Bruce, Deborah, and Melissa Bennett were found murdered a week ago yesterday. Scared? Yes, cautious, I would say taking extra precautions. Is that why we have such a big turnout here? Yes, definitely. What I would like to get into at this point is everybody's been calling my office and saying, what can we do? And there's a lot of things that if you would normally be doing is what's going to be your best protection. The Bennett incident was a situation where there was probably not a neighborhood watch in the country that would have maybe detected that crime. The hypothetical situation is, you're in your house, it's late at night, you know somebody's there, you can't get to the phone, but you got a 38 by your bed, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> My best advice to you 
is do what you have to do to protect you and your family. But you also have to understand you better know how to use that weapon and know the laws behind it. You have to remember, this was 1984. It wasn't until a year later that Colorado enacted its so-called Make My Day law, which shielded people from criminal charges and civil lawsuits if they used deadly force against an intruder. Okay, I knew this issue couldn't be avoided. <laughs> you know, I've gotten, I can't even count how many calls I've gotten in this past couple of weeks about, I want a gun, tell me what kind of gun to get and where to get it. Concern about home security made for record sales for many gun shops and burglar alarm system companies during January. Business owners who reported increases said the Bennett tragedy has heightened public awareness. The president of Denver burglar alarm system, Stu Jackson, told Ron Mitchell his people usually handle 30 to 50 inquiries a day. But that has increased to 30 to 50 an hour the last two weeks. Uh, an awful lot of our business, and we don't mean to profit out of other people's losses, but we're trying to prevent actually prevent things from happening. A lot of people were systems that we had proposed in the past that all of a sudden now the sense of urgency was there to do something before, in essence, the horse is out of the barn. About half the gun shop owners we contacted reported significant increases. Bill Molnar says he usually sells 100 guns a month. In January, he sold 150. Like I say it's unfortunate that it had to take the Bennett killings to do it. But hopefully it'll wake the people up that they do need some kind of protection in their home. Clyde Kimsey's job has taken on a new meaning, a new importance, because now, more than ever, Clyde's clientele is counting on him for peace of mind. He's being paid to patrol neighborhoods, houses and houses of people who are afraid. They're afraid, they're afraid for their lives, they're afraid for their wives or children. They don't know if they're gonna come home, if they're gonna walk into an empty house, if they're gonna walk into a house accompanied by who knows who? Clyde Kimsey, a man patrolling the streets in a red Ford Granada with police lights on top. Since the Bennett family murders, business for Clyde's security force has more than quadrupled in this Aurora neighborhood. He and his men used to keep a watchful eye on 33 homes here. Now the number has jumped to 150. The service serves as an addition to police protection, not a replacement. Clyde does carry a gun, and he does drive a car marked with emergency lights. But he can't make any arrest and can only fire his weapon in a life-threatening situation. His type of company gives police an extra hand with a little something extra for the neighborhoods. What I can offer the people is a heavier patrol. I can extend the patrol. I can extend the eyes for the police. I can give, them, I can give the people extra protection. Apprehension over utility workers in yards, scared school kids, packed neighborhood watch meetings, a run on burglar alarms and guns, private security officers patrolling neighborhood streets. All of it, perhaps, the predictable fallout of a violent attack that was virtually unprecedented in the Denver area. An entire family nearly wiped out in the early morning hours of January 16th, 1984. But it wasn't until after that crime that it became clear that a predator had been stalking suburban neighborhoods for weeks. I heard Kim screaming, uh... Wake up, there's some man trying to hit us with a hammer. In the late 1970s and early 1980s, new neighborhoods spread out from Alameda Avenue as it headed east through Aurora. Ranch, split-level, and two-story homes erected along winding suburban streets. Wood siding, shutters, small front stoops. Along Moline Drive sat one of those homes, a ranch with a little more than 900 square feet on the main floor and an equal-sized basement. It was a home shared by a young married couple. 
Kim and Jim Hobbenschild. From the curb, the house looked to be almost all garage. It was through that open garage door that a man with a hammer apparently entered early the morning of January 4th, 12 days before the attack on the Bennett family. And then I'd gotten up and grabbed the hammer that was by her, and I ran out here because we thought he was still in the house. But by then, he was already gone. In those days, the most important piece of equipment in the newsroom might have been the police scanner. Reporters, photographers, producers, they all kept an ear on the distinctive crackle around the clock. Early that morning, the police call in Aurora sounded serious enough that a 9 News crew headed to the scene, shooting video as detectives searched for clues in the garage and as an ambulance pulled away. But there would be no news story, at least not immediately. Six days later, and three and a half miles away, a man with a hammer carried out another assault, this one more violent than the first. An airline attendant was attacked in the garage of her home in the 100 block of South Eagle Circle. She was struck in the head numerous times by a blunt instrument, and the hammer found at the scene is believed to have been the weapon used in the attack. During the incident, the contents of her purse were dumped on the floor in the garage, so robbery is a possible motive for the attack. Rocky Mountain News, January 19, 1984. Again, there would be no news story. It was only after the Bennett murders that the stories of the first two hammer attacks emerged after police decided to go public with the details. Police said Tuesday they are looking for any possible relationship between the Bennett family slayings and two other nighttime attacks on young Aurora women earlier this month at least one of which involved a hammer. Both homes are off Alameda Parkway, which offers a four-lane escape route. In the January 4th attack, police said a young man and his 21-year-old wife were attacked in bed. Both victims were struck in the head, apparently with a hammer, which police said was later found on a dresser. The intruder may have entered the couple's home through an open garage door. The garage door was open at the Bennett home Monday, and police weren't sure whether the connecting door to the house was locked. Denver Post, January 18, 1984. The flight attendant faced an arduous recovery from serious head injuries, and little was reported about her case even as the Bennett murders were the subject of daily news coverage. But the victims of the first attack shared their story. It was the middle of the night two weeks ago when a man entered this house through the garage. When he left, the man and woman who live here had been beaten on the head with a hammer. They are Kim and Jim. We withheld their last names. They're convinced their attacker is the same man who killed the three members of the Bennett family. Because basically um, a hammer was used for one thing and from what detectives have said that the person that has done some of the other crimes has been described in the same manner as what I have described. Um, as far as I know, nobody's seen his face. They've just been able to describe the build and the color and, and such. They say it was a well-built black man who attacked them. He entered through an open garage door. Kim's purse was found nearby as she was taken to the hospital. Do you have any idea why he broke in here, what his motive was? I, I just thought it was money, you know, quick cash or something, because he didn't take any of the rings or jewelry or nothing like that. He did steal her purse, so we thought it was just quick money, but I think he's just, you know, either out to rape or just to hurt people. In other stories, the young couple agreed to be identified. James E. Hobbins' child, a young husband living in his first house in Aurora, had plans for the discretionary part of his modest mechanic's salary. I was going to buy a dining table, fix up the basement, he said. 
Two days ago, Hoppin's child forked over $2,500 for an alarm system, and he paid it gladly. Being attacked in one sleep by a man with a hammer as Hoppin's child, 22, and his wife, Kimberly, 21, were, turns one's priorities upside down. Denver Post, January 19, 1984. The flight attendant became a footnote to the Bennett murders. She recovered and has lived a full, happy life with no memory of the assault, rarely speaking of it publicly. For Kim and Jim, many things have changed since the night their sleep was interrupted by a man with a hammer in the first known attack in the Denver area. No longer married, Kim and Jim maintain vivid memories of the assault. Jim has thought about it intensely. Because you relive it every day. So I don't think I don't ever not think about it. You know, why we live, we don't know. Kim has pushed it out of her mind. Her fears eased by a detective's belief that the man with the hammer had probably died at some point over the years. I have not thought about this. I've not thought about it in a real way. You know, I don't sleep much at night anymore because of that. I hear any noises, I'm kind of up all night. It was comforting to think this person was dead. But I think for me, it's just more, it's always there in the back of my mind. Uh, You know, even when you go out to the restaurants and wherever you go, you always... We always wondered if he was still out there because he would know who we were, but we wouldn't know who he was. So I think the fear was always there that he would come back and, um, you know, do something. Two surprise attacks in six days, both in Aurora, the second more violent than the first. These were the first two, but the attacker was growing bolder and the violence would escalate again. Turned on the entryway light. And, and she was six feet, if that, from the door. The blanket was covering most of her face. Um, so we did not see the wound, but we knew, I knew she was dead. Next time on Blame, the fear all these years. Blame is a production of KUSA TV 9 News in Denver, Colorado, and Tegna Media. Nicole Vapp is executive producer. Anna Houston is producer and editor. And I'm your host, investigative reporter Kevin Vaughn. The original coverage of the Bennett family murders was from former Nine News reporters Neil Brown, Bill Britt, Rick Salinger, Sherry Sellers, and Jack Marr. The more recent interviews of Jim Hobbinschild and Kim Rice were conducted by Nine News reporters Jordan Chavez and Kristen Aguirre, respectively. There is much more, including photographs, interviews, and some of our old coverage of this case at 9news.com slash blame. If you like Blame, The Fear All These Years, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or any popular podcasting app. And check out our first two investigative podcasts. Blame, was the death of Joe Wells an accident or murder? And Blame, lost at home. You can like us on our Facebook page, Blame Podcast. And if you've got suggestions or tips for a future investigative podcast, reach us at blame at 9news.com.